Um, the first reading will come from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, therefore teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sins will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and you will delight in right sacrifices, and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then bulls will be offered on your altar. The book of Matthew. First is Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, and the second is Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35, on pages 6 and 21, respectively. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And Matthew chapter 18, from verse 21 to 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him, and, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded of him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handing him over to be tortured until he should pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will do also do to every one of you, 
if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Thank you, Yudoka, for all the reading you've done this morning. And brothers and sisters, good morning. Good to see you, good to be with you on behalf of my dean, uh, Dr. Elaine Heath uh, at Duke Divinity School, uh, the members of the Baptist House, the students, the faculty, the staff, I especially bring you greetings. Uh, so if you're ever down to the other Durham, please let us know. We'd love to be able to receive you uh, and to welcome you with the kind of hospitality that I have been received here uh, many times by your pastors going back uh, Ruth Goldburn, before that Brian Hames, all of which have been good friends and, and colleagues through the years. Would you join me as I offer a prayer to begin this sermon? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. It's unusual to be in a Baptist church where Lent is actually observed. And I say that uh, coming from the U.S., coming from a church that observes Lent. But then again, Bloomsbury Central is not your ordinary Baptist church, as I understand it. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, as we might say where I come from, your Southern, not Southern Baptist, right? You know what I mean. Uh, you, in the broad ecclesial landscape, you, you may, may not have hiked as high up on the candlestick as some of your liturgical brothers and sisters around. But the fact that you observe Lent is important. Uh, it's important because it links you with a tradition, a history that goes way back in the Christian church. For millennia during the Lenten season, Christians have turned their attention to the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And they've challenged one another to take serious inventory of their lives in this 40-day period, a time of wilderness and if you wondered how we count Lent, too, Sundays don't count, right? Uh, Sundays are the Lord's Day, uh, but we have this other time of testing that once we get outside of Sunday. And, and so during this Lenten season, we as Christians are forced to ask a question. What does it mean to be forgiven? What does it mean to be people who forgive? Now, I don't know about you, but I'll just say for myself, I think that I presume too often that forgiveness is far too easy. Uh, I've tipped my toes into the toxic ocean of what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once called cheap grace. It says something like this, I like to sin, God likes to forgive, right? It sounds like a good deal, and we smile, and we say, I'll take that. But the truth of the matter is, that sort of attitude that sin can be something so easily forgiven, that grace is just dispensed out uh, upon the asking without really doing much work, uh, is a really dangerous place to put ourselves in as Christians. And so during this time of Lent, 
what we are asked to do is to have that kind of habit of mind broken down and to begin to develop new habits of mind, new practices, if you will, practices of forgiveness. And so this morning we confront that petition in the Lord's Prayer. It's a very difficult position, petition if you think about it because it says not only forgive us our sins, but then the second line, which is the catch, isn't it? That we ought to struggle with a bit more than we do. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. That's the as part that we wonder. What is, what is Jesus telling us here? That we are to be forgiven as we forgive. And if really the truth be told, if God were to hold us to that standard, we wouldn't be forgiven as often as we need to be forgiven because we're really not the kinds of people that, that really know how to forgive. And I want to ask you to think with me for just a, a little while this morning, what does it mean to practice forgiveness? Now, so let me just kind of, and I'm a theologian by training, and, and so I'll, I'll give you some, some ideas here, some thoughts to sort of push out to you. And the first one is this, that practicing forgiveness, as I'm reading this text, means that we recognize that forgiveness is God's work. And that's a really important point, that forgiveness is God's work. The gospel reading begins with this exchange between Peter and Jesus about forgiveness. And, and, and he asks the question, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times, which sounds quite generous, right? Seven times? Of course, numbers in the Bible can be a little tricky as well, as Simon can tell you. In other words, the, the kind of question that oftentimes we want to ask the preacher when we play, play stump the preacher, right? You do that, don't you? Where do you draw the line? How many times do you forgive? Where, where do you say this is the boundary we don't cross? Jesus' answer is jarring if you look at it because he says not seven times, but I tell you 77 times. And there are probably some Christians that you know that are literalist and says, okay, 77, that means I'm going to be counting and when we, have, when we get to 78, that's it. You know, that's the line. But of course, that really misses the point too, doesn't it? Because 77 times is not a way of quantifying forgiveness. Forgiveness is limitless. That's what 77 means. It doesn't mean 77 and not 78. And it, it, you know, it's the sort of thing here, Jesus telling Peter uh, this evokes a kind of puzzling response. If it's unlimited, if it really is unlimited, who could forgive? If really that's the point is that we, we, there are no limits to forgiveness. We have to, no matter what happens, we have to forgive. Then you begin to think, that's impossible. I, I mean, I can imagine, and I know people who have done things to me, probably done things to you that you say, I cannot forgive that. That's beyond, that's something I've been betrayed 
And we know what this is, to be betrayed by someone we love, someone we've trusted, someone we've given our very lives to, and they have crushed us. And we say, that's something I, I cannot forgive. It's a line beyond which I cannot go. And Jesus says to Peter, there are no lines beyond which you can go. Because forgiveness is not something we do. Forgiveness is God's work. It's limitless. Eugene O'Neill, in a story he tells about a man that killed his wife on grounds, he said, of excessive forgiveness. Every night he would come home drunk and every night she would tell him that he was the scurviest, most good-for-nothing creature ever to call, crawl out of the cracks of life. And then she would end the conversation but I forgive you. Now he heard her words, right? But he knew what she meant. She really didn't forgive. And this is what Jesus forces us to do in this petition, to begin to realize that forgiveness is not something that we do. It is something God has done for us already in Jesus Christ. When Karl Barth, the great German Swiss theologian, was asked once uh, when he was saved, he said, 33 AD, somewhere in there. Everything was done then. Every sin ever has been committed, will be committed, has been forgiven in Jesus Christ. It's God's work. And so... As we seek as Christians to practice forgiveness, the first thing that we're really saying is it's not our work. It's the work that God has already done for us. And we're seeking to walk in that way and to live in God's pattern through Jesus Christ. But practicing forgiveness is not only remembering that this is God's work, it's seeking to understand more deeply what it means to be forgiven. And in the parable in Matthew that follows this story of Peter and Jesus about a king that forgives the man of this huge payment. It's an unpayable debt. Uh, 10,000 talents, if you uh, look at it and, and try to translate it into the, the day's wages, it would have been what a working class person would have expected in 150,000 years. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. It's the sort of thing that the economists, when they're trying to explain to you the debt of your country or mine, and they say if you take 100-pound notes and you stack them up, you know, and go all the way to the moon and back, then that's the national debt, and, you know, it just boggles your mind. This is, this is the kind of debt that this man is owing. Nothing he can do to pay it back, and yet... The, the king forgives him. And then as the story goes, he turns right around and a man that owns a, owes him a, a smaller amount, he, he, he forces him uh, in, into prison for mere pocket change by uh, comparison. And when the king hears of this, he then throws the first man in prison. I mean, it seems to be the kind of play on Jesus' words that, we are, to, we are to be forgiven in the way that we learn to practice forgiveness. And so it means that the practice of forgiveness is not only remembering that 
Forgiveness is something that God has done already for us, but it, it means that we as Christians, if we're to practice forgiveness, then we must learn to, to, to really examine what it means to be forgiven. To do inventory in our own lives and to think and to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those. Um, if, you, if you read the book that uh, Simon showed you, one of the things, I, I, I've come to really like William Blake. And William Blake was in some ways one of us. His, some of his family were Baptist and his mother was Moravian and he has all sorts of odd ideas uh, in many ways. But one of the things that he says that's so striking that seems to me to be just what Jesus is saying here is he says friendship cannot exist without forgiveness of sins continually. Continually. There's, there's no limit to this. Um, I tell my students at school now, and I'm, this is why I realize how old I am, as I say that I am a bumbling bundle of microaggressions, which is the new thing now, right? And I, I just realize, and I'm probably doing it all here now, and you're hearing my Texas accent and all sorts of things, you're forgiving me of, you know, uh, you have to realize that English for me as a Texan is a second language. Um, and thank you for your forgiveness. But it, 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 doing this inventory in our lives begins the process of saying that there's nothing that we could do to earn the forgiveness that we have and nothing that others can do. And as we live into what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it, it is a, it's a, it's a, a daily moment by moment, like breathing. Forgiveness is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But there's one more aspect of this. It's not only that forgive, practicing forgiveness is to know that it's God's work and to also begin to do this inventory, but practicing forgiveness means to learn to embody the pattern of God's forgiving love. Forgiveness, if it is a practice, it, it does take practice, just like all those things that you learn to do, to play a musical instrument or be in, you know, play football or whatever it is that, that you like to do. You can't do it naturally. It takes practice. But more importantly, forgiveness is a practice. It is a practice. And we, we think about the practice of law or medicine or even the practice of ministry. But being a Christian and learning to forgive, if that's what it means to just follow Jesus, it's not only something that takes a practice, but it's something that is a practice. It's, it's more than a spoken word, more than a performed act or a felt feeling. Forgiveness is the embodiment of the pattern of God's forgiveness that is revealed in Jesus Christ made known to us through God's Holy Spirit. Practice forgiveness requires learning the disciplines, the habits that make us more like God. That's why Jesus says if we want to learn forgiveness, one of the first places that we must turn is prayer. Prayer must be a, a daily practice, not only something that we just do, but something that we, we, we pause 
and we ask God to bring to mind those things that need to be dealt with in the moments, things that need to be let go. C.S. Lewis was praying one time, and he writes in his letters to Malcolm that last week while in prayer, I discovered, or at least felt as I did, that I had really forgiven someone I'd been trying to forgive for 30 years, trying and praying that I might. See, you can't, it's not something you can give. It's not a power that you have to, to, to give someone forgiveness or to withhold that. And yet there are things that keep us from walking into this forgiveness that God has made known in Jesus this way. And prayer is one of the places that we begin to practice this forgiveness. So may God make us into the kind of people that not only preach the forgiveness of sins, but by God's grace, let us seek to become people who practice the forgiveness of sins. Thanks be to God. Amen. So will you please join me in prayer? God of love, mother of us all, we give thanks for the life that you have brought to birth in us. We thank you for the gift of this day and for our own lives, these precious gifts of incarnation. We pray today for all those who are being brought to life. We pray for unborn babies, for expectant parents, for excited and fearful grandparents, for good families and loving relatives. We pray also for all those whose experience of new life is unexpected, troubling or traumatic. We pray for refugees, for victims and for all those who fear for the health and future of their children. We recognise in you the mystery of life and your willingness to recommit yourself to your children in the midst of all our failings and faults. Loving God, thank you for your tender care. God of love, mother of us all, we give thanks for your steadfast love for each of us, your children. We thank you that you never turn your face from us and that your gaze is ever of love and not despair. We pray for all those who struggle with the responsibilities of childcare, for those who find their own deepest fears and doubts reflected back at them in the lives of those whom they have brought into being. And so we commit to your loving protection all those whose parents have failed them. We pray for those who seek to provide care and nurturing where others have been unable to do so, and in so doing, echo your own love for each created soul. So we pray for adopted parents, for step-parents, for foster carers, social workers, and all those who work in the juvenile care system. May they discover in their role the love that you extend through them to those in their care. 
Loving God, thank you for your tender care. God of love, mother of us all, we give thanks that you sustain us and support us throughout our lives. We thank you for our bodies and we thank you for those who care for them, helping us keep healthy and intervening when we face illness. With each passing year, we grow ever more aware of our own mortality and we are grateful for our own continuing lives. So we pray today for those who are reaching the end of their lives, for those who are very old and for those who are very ill. Give comfort and assurance in place of fear and doubt and hold in your eternal embrace all those who long for your loving touch. We pray for nurses and doctors, for hospice workers and hospital chaplains, and for all those who work in healthcare. And we ask that when our own lives draw to their conclusion, we will know good care and love as we make our own journey to your eternity. Loving God, thank you for your tender care. God of love, mother of us all, we give thanks for the church which nourishes us and enables us to grow. We thank you for this body, which is your gathered congregation, drawn together in this place at this time. We pray for one another with all our diverse needs and cares and joys and sorrows. May we experience your love for us as we discover our mutual love for one another. May we experience your forgiveness of us as we discover our mutual forgiveness of one another. Help us to discern one another's needs and to be active in carrying one another's burdens. Loving God, thank you for your tender care. God of love, mother of us all, we give thanks for the gift of those who love us and those whom we love. We thank you for friends and family. And in silence now we name in our hearts before you all those whom we love and who love us. Thank you, loving God, for your tender care. Amen. <laughs>